Welcome to the Pet Industry Podcast, connecting you with the people behind the passion, the leading experts in the pet industry. Here are your hosts, Steve Cawthron and Dr. Megan Sprinkle. Sean Conlon is an entrepreneur, investor, and strategic advisor. Creating and building something from scratch fueled him to launch, scale, and exit multiple companies, including several in the pet space, such as Nashi's Dog Treats, which officially launched in April 2020, named after his adorable dog, Nash. As most, if not all, good entrepreneurs, he has learned from mistakes and has had a lot of success along his learning journey. I'll let Sean tell how he and his wife, Christina, decided to take a mission and lifestyle on the road in the episode. Sean currently serves fellow entrepreneurs and their leadership teams by helping them navigate the challenges of scaling a company. He is a VP of Business Development for the pet industry at Thrive Life, a highly successful freeze-drying company that is rapidly growing into multiple segments, including pet. So let's talk with Sean Conlon. Well, welcome, Sean. It was so wonderful to meet you yesterday yeah, here at too. Super Zoo. And so I'm excited to dive in a little bit deeper into your story. You, you know, five minutes is not enough for your, for your really cool story. So um, when I was reading a little bit more about uh, kind of your, your work in business, you sounded out very or started out very entrepreneurial. So what kind of sparked that entrepreneurial spirit so early? I mean, there's... I think a variety of things that led to what I think most entrepreneurs would see as like vision. You know, I think generally creativity, vision, using it as an outlet, that kind of aura, if you will. And honestly, I think a lot of it, without getting on a pedestal, I feel like there's some failings of higher education where I went the traditional route of what all the placements told me to do, which was accounting and finance. And to be a CPA was my ultimate objective through like my success in schooling, I guess you could say. But the failure was not to understand me as an individual and a human, you know, with what drives me, what excites me, ultimately what is going to fulfill me from almost like a purpose standpoint in an occupation. And so while I was good at accounting, I got into the real world as an accountant and just figured out it wasn't for me. So getting to know myself a little bit more and also knowing some of our family had businesses and you know you define them as an entrepreneur, small business owner, really just figured out that that could be a possibility. And then that led to really the first idea of starting a business and what it was and ultimately how to build a business model and find customers. And you know I was, I was young enough where and I, I, um, I feel for older entrepreneurs that might endeavor in this after having a successful career in whatever industry they were in. But fortunately, I was really young. I was in my early 20s and I could take risks and not have a family to worry about, you know, and those sort of things. And I think there's some elements that I had that I'm definitely grateful for. And I look back on and, and feel blessed that I was able to take that disproportionate risk to go in and try something and fail and you know then fail and then finally find some success but ultimately i would say it's kind of a non-traditional way to find you know entrepreneurship but the downside is once you taste it <laughs> it's all you want a little addicting yeah, yeah. very addicting <laughs> one thing i did not read anywhere but it does sound like your wife is a, a big part of the story so where did you meet her yeah i actually met her at that job yeah at work and we had 
we had worked together for about a year and this is a really long story so i'm going to keep it very succinct because we could go on for hours but she was a marketing intern and i was on the accounting side and i had figured out this whole you know journey and so i announced my two-week notice to the and we had over the course of a year maybe two conversations and she reaches out to me and i i didn't realize i had a twitter account but one day i got a little tweet on my phone from her it was like a direct message and she was like hey i heard you're leaving the company love to go grab lunch and say goodbye and i'm kind of like okay this is interesting and i part of this was i was actually moving out to california where my parents had lived at the time this was in indianapolis and it just lunch didn't work out so it turned to dinner and we were there for three hours and didn't touch our food and from that moment we pretty much knew that we would end up married which I was never one to believe in the whole love at first sight or first interaction or whatever you want to call it but yeah it played out pretty evidently. (laughs) Oh that's wonderful so where was the journey into you know starting all these businesses it sounds like you you founded or co-founded multiple companies so how did that story go? Well you just as with anybody in business or really any industry you just start to build a network of people and, and there's a lot of people call them different things. I call them collision moments. But you know, you'll encounter somebody that you know there's some dot that's being connected. And if you're in tune to that and really fostering that relationship, eventually it will turn into something. Whether it's a business partner or a potential employee or you know whatever it is, there were just multiple of those moments that happened. And one in particular with our last business, uh, which was a wedding venue, or it still is a wedding venue company. Tim was actually, who's my business partner, he was our wedding photographer for Christina and I. And we just fostered that relationship because we both lived in San Diego at the time and turned into a business partnership. So it's just, it's one of those things where you never know, you know, and it's, it's also the whole burning bridges thing is like never burn a bridge too, because you never know how that relationship could come back or, you know, there's just so many angles to it, but yeah, it's having those moments, being in tune to them and then fostering them is really important. Yeah, well, that that's about building relationships, ultimately, being the good human being along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you, when we were talking, you talked about kind of a, a pivotal moment where you kind of reassessed some of the things you wanted in life. So how did that start? Yeah, again, long story, but we're going to be very succinct. There was a period, and this was prior to 2020 and all the COVID stuff going on, but there was an opportunity with the wedding venue business to bring in some private equity to help grow that business, more of like growth equity. And so that enabled me to take a step back and at that point understand a variety of things about myself because it was kind of a continuation of the self-awareness journey and you know just a lot of professional development and stuff in that. And so one of the things that that really I had a lot of conviction around was just the fact that Christina and I had been generous with money and we did our tithing at church and supporting nonprofits and those sort of things. But there's just this moment in reflection where I realized that the most precious resource I was still clinging to and didn't give out. And that was my time. And so we were, you know, and I, I share this story very open and transparent that we were very embarrassed internally as a family that we had yet to pursue any type of volunteerism and supporting whatever it might be, local nonprofits, churches, you know, that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, when you're faced with that moment, you can do one of two things. One is you can ignore it and sweep it under the rug and some people can compartmentalize and it goes away. I'm not that way, my wife's not that way. So we were faced with, what do we do with this? And our best solution was to be as radical as we were on one end, all the way on the other end, 
And so through a series of conversations and just a lot of thought and prayer on our end, we decided to just make the jump and we sold all of our stuff and bought an RV and said, hey, we're gonna focus a year of our life on volunteering with our dog, who, whose name is Nash. He's a golden retriever, cutest golden retriever ever, until little Maverick came along, which we'll probably talk about. But we set out on a journey and started in Texas. And just over the course of 12 months, was able to volunteer over a thousand hours and meet incredible people that we would have never met. And we shared some of that journey on an Instagram account that we have. and. Uh, we did a little YouTube series, which was pretty fun. And then we were actually approached by Dog TV in, I don't remember when the conversation started. I feel like it was around January of 2021. And so we decided to do a TV show with them, which doubled up on some of our YouTube content and just got to leverage the power of that to have some cinematographers and just logistics planning and producers help us along the way. And it was just totally unexpected. And, and I feel like it's a good illustration of if you have a desire in your heart and you know what's true north on that, people will support you, period. Like you will find it, whether it's these collision moments that happens or you just have to put that out there and it will find you if it's true in your heart. What kind of things did you, uh, did you volunteer doing? Can you share any of that? Yeah, absolutely. So we, with Nash specifically, um, we had volunteered with him in Nashville before we left there for this RV journey. And we were able to filter down what we really liked doing. And that was spending time with kids and predominantly, let's say like K through eighth grade, because you can have really cool conversations. They're still children and they love dogs and just that innocence matched with the innocence of a dog, it enables really cool conversations that I feel like you wouldn't otherwise have. So we were able to work a lot with the Boys and Girls Club. They were really supportive as we traveled. And we're, you know, in 21, we're like peak COVID time. So there's a lot of places that wouldn't let us in or, you know, there's certain requirements or people still didn't know what the dogs, like were they transmitting anything, you know? So there was, there was some of that, but honestly we didn't encounter much of it. So pretty much anywhere we reached out to, Christina was awesome about doing it. We would know where we were going a few weeks ahead of time. So she'd start emailing and calling. And then basically we landed on police stations so we just pop in and fun story, Nash is a little designated deputy in Texas, which was super cool. Nice. He's like <laughs> nice. our little dog version of Walker, Texas Ranger, <laughs> which is so fun. We stopped into a fire station in Florida. That was pretty cool. And Nash got to ride on a fire truck, which Very was cool. awesome. But yeah, we, we really kind of focused on schools and after school programs okay. just to keep Nash where he performed best. Yeah, good deal. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. I'm. Good. Are they back in all the your Instagram photos? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I already found you and I'm following. Okay. So I, I, love I have it. to Thank go you. back. Okay, so go do that. <laughs> uh, we can link that in the show notes too. So you've talked a lot about relationships and and the people you've met along the way. So how did you meet Steve Palmer, who's the CEO and co-founder of Thrive Foods? Steve is one of the most amazing people you ever meet. And through part of this journey of professional development that I've mentioned, part of it, and I, I won't lie, some of it was vanity and ego, but as I was raising money from investors, I did not have an MBA. And so you get in these conversations and, oh, where'd you, where'd you get your MBA from? Oh, I only have a dual undergrad degree in accounting and finance. You know, it's like, Just. it's kind of <laughs> ridiculous, but nonetheless, um, I decided to pursue that and ended up going to Notre Dame. And so day one, literally like, there's no seating chart or anything, but day one, first class, I sit down next to Steve Palmer and we start talking and, you know, it's kind of the small talk getting to know each other. 
and we both find out we're entrepreneurs. We own our own businesses, and there were only really us and, and two other people in the class that were in that category out of, I think it was 48 people total. So we went deep really quickly, you know, with that relationship, um, and just together got to go on a journey of where the root was, was really understanding that our identity and our success or failure or emotional state is not related to us as an entrepreneur. And there's a lot of depth to that, but part of that journey was just this friendship, you know, that you really can't get anywhere else. And so then after I transitioned out of our wedding venue business and uh, I was doing some consulting on the side to help other entrepreneurs shape their leadership teams. And so I started working with Steve and the team there on that. And then there was a pretty incredible opportunity that presented itself with the private equity group to provide growth equity for Thrive to go really do what it is meant to do in the world, honestly, not just North America, but um, go out and make some acquisitions, standardize some process and bring the freeze dry industry up to a level of excellence that, that Steve knew it could operate at. And from that point, you know, just, just really helped him on that end. And then we've done a lot of other really cool stuff since then. But you know, it, it, going back to your point about relationships, you, you really never know where something's gonna go. You really don't. So I think part of my learning in that was just never have any assumptions going into what that relationship could be. Let it be what it is. And it will reveal itself over time if you're paying attention and fostering it to you know where it's ultimately gonna lead. So I, from what I understand, Steve's uh, business Thrive Food started on the human food side and now they are getting into the pet side. So what's the story on the transition? Yeah, when you're operating at that level with the professionalism and just overall quality product that they're putting out, naturally other industries are gonna come knocking. It's only a matter of time. So I think it was in 2016 when Thrive first started manufacturing for a pet brand in the pet industry. And so that is a totally new door, specifically when it's uh, raw freeze-dried versus you know all the USDA and FDA stuff you have to do on the human side for fully cooked and human consumption. That's a pretty big difference. And the team adjusted and, and bought necessary equipment and changed process and, and did all the stuff that they needed to do. And the byproduct was now you have two world-class operations. And I mean, now there's multiple facilities across the country, but you have two ways of operating the company that both are operating at such a high level that naturally because of that, other brands are going to start reaching out. And so that's what happened from 2016 to leading us up to today. And as you guys well know, there's a huge movement in the pet industry with freeze dry. Just there's a variety of benefits, but just the power of that technology lends itself to giving the consumer ultimately what they're looking for with a really great diet, but the convenience of it and then not having to take up uh, refrigerator space or freezer space or you know all the things that come along with with feeding raw when it's not freeze dried. So where did Nashi's come into the story? Well we had so Thrive had been working on a project that was a dog treat and this was when Steve and I were actually at Notre Dame so at the time I'm running a wedding venue business and he's just asking me because I had been in the pen industry before and he's like, hey, what, what do you think about a, a fully cooked dog treat that's freeze dried? And I had learned a little bit about freeze dried just knowing Steve. And I was like, yeah, that, that could work. And then I kind of dove into it a little bit more and um, was even more supportive after you know seeing some of the, the data and the research. And then they had a brand that they were building called Peak Refuel, which is an outdoor backpacking meal for the human side. And it just took off, like took off like a rocket ship. So when you're in growth mode, you have these moments where 
if you have a couple horses in the race and one really starts to take off, you make the decision, do you chase both and keep building this one, this incumbent, or do you just back the horse that's winning? And so ultimately that's what the decision was made to back peak. And so then that kind of took a back seat and I went through this transition and we got out on the road and we had decided, Christina and I had decided that launching a dog treat that gave the majority, if not all of its profit back to the therapy dog groups that we were personally working with could be an awesome way to build a brand. And we tested it around the Nashville area and then we pushed it online and then started dripping it through our social channels and it just started taking off. And it was, I think ultimately, the ease of the consumer knowing that it was single ingredient and fully cooked, which was a great alternative to raw. And the way that the process went, it it kept all the nutrition intact. I think that really appealed to them. And so we designed the packaging around, frankly, took a lot of inspiration from RX bar and what they did in the, the, the bar side of things, which was a super saturated space, but yet RX bar became what it did just another bar, but not at the same time. And so we kind of took some cues from that in terms of keeping packaging clean, putting the keywords front and center, you know, doing the things that really articulate the value of what we're doing. And I think they really loved it. And so from there, we just would do, attend events as we were traveling and you know, meet with pet stores, independent pet boutique stores. And from there, it just kept growing. So was Nash part of the endeavor as well yes of course <laughs> he was uh, we call him the ctt the chief test taster oh, <laughs> or nice. treat taster i like nice. that <laughs> nice. gotta have a position in oh the company. yeah oh naturally <laughs> i mean it's named after him right so. right yeah. <laughs> gotta at least be the president yeah um so you have even though you're very young you've had a lot of experience in the industry so what kind of call of wisdom would you give the rest of the pet industry that's a really good question um So I think, and we've all seen it, but this trend towards humanization of the dog and just really making it part of the family, I feel like we're finally at that inflection point because everybody's been talking about this for as long as I can remember. Um, And a lot, there's some taglines I've heard like from the barnyard to the bedroom, you know, where they're now sleeping with you in the bed. And um, I think the industry is finally there where it's at the intersection point of the consumer willing to spend more on these like ultra premium products, I mean, particularly on the food side, um, to have a more healthy dog and to have a dog with more energy and just, you know, all the benefits of that. Um, And so I think the wisdom, if you will, is to continue pressing into that. You know, let's continue to push the edge on what we can do from an innovation standpoint around, I mean, particularly food and health and wellness um, and really help these dogs live longer, live better lives and ultimately satisfy the consumer more because they they are increasingly more their family. And I'm saying that personally and selfishly because we love our dogs and and all of us here do. Um, And to extend the life and the enjoyment with them while they're with us is, is all we can ask for, really. Absolutely. And in an article that I was reading, you mentioned the importance of knowing where you want to be in the next 10, 20 years. So how would you answer that for yourself? Another great question. (laughs) Um, So I feel like my answer is is very reflective of our journey the last several years, which is to really, and it's going to sound so cliche, but to have an impact, to really be intentional, like radically intentional every single day that you wake up to pursue whatever it is that you believe is your impact. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of self-awareness to realize that, that you're not perfect, 
and you have gaps and there are things that people don't like about you and there are things that you really need to work on whether it's in your marriage or your professional relationships or your personal relationships or whatever it is and you have to go there and it's a dark place for almost all of us and once you do that now you can start building that foundation and you can start building a foundation that's worth building upon and i feel like if we're all attentive to that and we focus on it daily and we've got an aura of personal excellence mixed in with that you can make a massive impact wherever it is it doesn't have to be on the world stage and i've learned through all of this it's actually not about that at all to change the world is to change something very very small in your family your community your state and then it works out from there and i feel like with just everything going on from a macro standpoint of division here and there and everywhere if we focus more on our personal excellence and our impact that we can have it will change for the better but we have to be willing to start with ourselves first All right, Steve likes to throw out some really good questions. Do yeah. you have a good question? Yeah, to throw yeah we'll hit you with a few here. Okay. So <laughs> we'll just stay on that path. Um, if you could go back to and have a chat with your 18-year-old self, what would you what would you tell yourself? That is a great question, man. You guys are just coming <laughs> with the heat. I love it. So okay, I know I know exactly what I would say. Our society and our world celebrates the event. I would focus more on celebrating the process. Because you look and you see things like uh, Mark Zuckerberg is the only thing coming to mind right now. Wow, what a guy. He created Facebook. And now Facebook is everything that it is. And look at how much wealth he has and all that. And we all talk about that. But nobody really talks about the process that went behind that. You know? and, it's, and then people are envious and jealous and all that. But they don't really know what went into it. And so it would just be focus in that, like laser focus in that. And try and show other people around you, you know, the similar methodology around that. Nice. Okay. Um, all right. Well, if you uh, could be at your funeral and hear what people have to say, what would you want to hear? Legacy. Yeah. Wow. Um, I feel like ultimately that I was a great friend. You know, I'm, that's, it's easy to say sitting here and I, as I'm saying it, I can think through all the places and times when I'm not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, sure. like, but I feel at the end of the day that if I was a true friend to everybody I encountered, every relationship I had, I feel like I would be pretty happy looking down on that funeral going on with people saying that. Mm. You said you did a lot of self-work. So in the midst of your self-work journey, what did you learn about your personality that helped you going forward? I love that question. One of the tools that I had come across when I was doing this like really deep, deep dive on myself um, was really powerful. And part of it was I was kind of in this area of learning um, around blind spots and self-awareness. And, and actually Notre Dame had provided us this awesome tool, um, which I highly encourage any leader, really not, I mean, you don't have to be a leader in your company to do this, but um, it's a 360 evaluation. So what you're doing is you're, you're answering these questions based on what you think and then you're answering some questions on what you think others think of you, and then they answer it with what they actually think. And so it gives you these dots where it will show you, like, here's what you thought, and here's what everybody else thought. And that's a blind spot, because those don't match. 
And so you'll have some areas where they're very close. And then I had a couple that were like very far apart. <laughs> so that led me to some more research. And so I discovered this tool, um, which is, it's an ancient personality typing system that's been around for literally forever that anybody knows of. Um, and it's called the Enneagram. And so what it does is it evaluates, There's uh, and I won't even go into the whole specifics because you could spend hours on this, but highly encourage anybody listening that is interested to go do some research. Um, but it's basically a typing system that identifies at the core, what is your core desire for longing and belonging? And then when you are most unhealthy in your relationships or situations, how do you act? And so there's a way to kind of correlate exactly where you lay or lie on that spectrum. And so there's nine total types, um, one through nine. Doesn't mean that one is better than nine. There's no ranking. It's just how they, they labeled them. Um, but ultimately the tool that it, or the, uh, ultimately the outcome that it gives you is the ability to manage your relationships in a way where you have enough empathy for that individual to not only communicate with them in the way that they're going to be, be most successful, but ultimately to know if I'm feeling stressors or certain things and situations that are pressing in on me, how am I going to react to those? So it's bigger than just saying, hey, let's take a step back and count to nine and take some deep breaths. It's actually like innately putting this so deep in your brain that you understand when this stuff's coming at you at rapid velocity, knowing how you're going to react and, and changing that because this is the blind spot to be recognizing how it's going to go if I go towards that blind spot area and you go the exact opposite way. And it takes a lot of time. I mean, it, it, in my opinion, it's a lifelong journey that none of us will ever perfect. But I feel if, if we're really, you know, looking at this from, I want to enter the danger and I want to really go to the dark spot of the worst part of me and know what that is and then do something about it. It's an incredible tool. But be warned, <laughs> because if you go down that path, you will find this information, and then it's ultimately up to you with what you want to do with it. Now, did you say what number you are? Um, so, okay, that, that's a, <laughs> it's a very good question. I actually mistyped myself for over a year, and um, this won't mean into, to anything to anybody that doesn't know it, but I was a three-wing four, okay, yeah. um, which a three is an achiever. So it was basically my, my core identity is belonging and I want a sense of a belonging and the way that I do it is through achievement is what a three is. And there's a lot more depth to that. And it was easy for me to type myself that way because I've always been involved in athletics and had been successful in athletics. And, um, you know, I'd been an entrepreneur and like all this stuff, but the four is more of the creative and has more emotion. And isn't it about like wanting to be unique, yes, right? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's where um, there's this guy out of Nashville, um, Ian Morgan Cron. Yes, that has an amazing podcast called Typology. Yep. And I was just absorbing this. And what's so rad about this whole situation is Ian Morgan, and I'm getting goosebumps. Um, <laughs> Ian Morgan Cron put out an episode where he explained that he was a three wing four, but mistyped himself. And so he articulated like the three things that he had figured out that actually flipped him to a four wing three. So the moment that this happened, I just felt this instant, like, cause to say it another way, I had kind of felt a little out of place as a three wing four. And, and you can learn, as you learn this, you'll, you're not like pushing these things onto yourself and putting yourself in a box. But again, you're like learning these things, like how do I act in these situations? Why do I do this? Like that, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so 
I always felt out of place with that. I almost felt like, oh, I'm supposed to do this. So I knew something was a little off, but I couldn't place it. And then I heard Ian talking about this and he talked about how he was a four wing three, which is the, the uh, least, there's the least amount of people typed Rarest, as this. Yeah. And there was, um, <laughs> I mean, what hit me just straight in, in the middle of the eyes was he was talking about um, a lot of the downside to a four wing three. And because there's so much closely related to the three wing four, because of that unique identity, everything that you do is rooted in being different. And so as I started unwinding this, I'm like, holy cow, the sports that I loved out of the four that I played, the two were wrestling and track, both individual sports. So I could have a unique identity in that. And then why did I pursue entrepreneurship? I was never like anybody else. And same thing. And then whenever a brand starts to get popular, I'm out. Like clothes, all of it, like I sell it, I'm done. I'm moving on to the next one. Um, same thing, like I don't wanna be like everybody else. And it's this like, this learning. And then what really, really impacted me and caused me to really go off the deep end, really figuring this out was he had shared the really dark side of it, which was a four wing three is the highest susceptibility for suicide because you live at such intensity and there's a moment where switch will flip where if, if you feel like you failed everybody, there's no other way out. And I've never had any thoughts like that up to that point. I never had still haven't, but he gave these examples and, and he was uh, kind of describing who he would think out of celebrities and stuff were the same type. And Kurt Cobain was like the one that he kind of went back and referenced on this whole thing. Uh, and so it was just a wake up moment. I was like, man, if I keep going at this pace and I don't address some of these things, like not that I'm like, again, putting that self on, putting that on me, but it's like, data is data, research is research, and clearly this thing's pretty accurate, so I should probably pay attention to it. <laughs> well, but I think just what we've been talking about, one thing that you've done is, yes, you like to be unique. Yes, you like to be ahead of the game and, and be unique, but at the same time, you're very good at building relationships. And I think at the end of the day, we know we can't do life alone. We can't do business alone. We can't do life alone. And so building those relationships along the way still allows you to be your unique self, do these amazing things, but you have that support system. Absolutely. I think. Yeah, no, you're 100% spot on. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really unique. Yeah. And it's something good to talk about in general, but also in this industry, because we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this industry yeah. who are trying to find the newest and greatest thing. Yeah. So it's very good to, I think, talk about it for sure. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's, and it's not to like pull this back in, but I think that's what's been so amazing about developing this new relationship with BSM because we've only known each other for a couple months now um, at the end of the day. But from everything that I've encountered, it, it is like a radical effort to push the limit and support not just the entrepreneur, but the product manager. Um, you know, whoever it is at whatever company it is to really push the edge on innovation. And <clears throat> that's why I love, I don't know if it's your tagline or if it was just on the brochure, but nothing is impossible. And I know Nate says Nate, that all yep. the time, right? <laughs> so it, it's so true. And I think that's what's just so admirable about BSM and everything that we've encountered so far working with y'all is, is uh, we fit that. You know, and I feel like a lot, like you said, a lot of people in the industry do as well. You've been listening to the Pet Industry Podcast, distributed by DSM Partners, LLC, and produced by Cliff Dubinois. Your podcast team is Whitney Russell, Steve Cawthron, and Megan Sprinkle. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time 
on the Pet Industry Podcast. 